0: I' to start by asking you, what does it look like for a perfect and holy God to interact with imperfect and sinful human beings? What does it look like for us to have that kind of interaction? How can that happen? When you have perfection and imperfection, how can those things meet? One place in Scripture that comes to mind when we think about this is in Isaiah. Uh, the prophet Isaiah has um, an experience where he comes encounter with the perfection of God. And in Isaiah chapter six, it says this: "In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple." Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost." and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah has this this vision where he's in God's presence. And to be in God's presence and to be someone that is corrupted by sin is a place that is quite scary. Because you're, you're faced with the reality of his perfection and your imperfection. And how your imperfection cannot exist in the, in the presence of his perfection. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I hang out with people that are, have unclean lips. And by unclean lips, he means, hey, I'm, I'm sinful. I've done things against God. I've done things against what, what God would have me to do. Against his holiness. Against his perfection. And how is that dealt with? The seraphim flies down to him. With a burning coal and puts it on his lips and says, I've removed it. I've taken it away. Uh, your sin, your guilt, your shame, all of that, I've taken it away so that you can be in God's presence. And this is a beautiful picture of what it requires for a sinful man to come into the presence of God. Our corruption has to be taken away. And it happens from the from God. And that in his realm coming down to us to purify us, with what what the, the seraphim does there. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is we see that there's the creation, and in the garden, it's perfect. Man had a had a purpose that we were created for. Our purpose was to be in a relationship with God. Um, some out there would say that uh, the that man's purpose is to enjoy, enjoy God forever, um, to worship him and glorify him forever. And so um, we see that in the garden, that, that mankind is in this perfect place where we're not corrupted by sin. And they're able to just walk and talk with God in his presence and to be a part of this relationship that they're designed for, they're created for. But then we brought sin into the world. Then we corrupted ourselves. And in our corruptions, we can't fully be in his presence anymore because it's not safe for us. Because God, being fully perfect, any sin, any corruption that's in his presence would be judged, would be punished, would be dealt with. And so we're left with this problem of how do we still fulfill our purpose? How do we still... Have that relationship with God. How do we still have that communion with God, where we're we're with Him and doing what we're designed and created for, and yet we st- we have this sin problem that that holds us back, this imperfection that holds us from being able to be in His presence. Because one thing I think most of us can really identify with right now is the fact that relationship. Is very hard. Relationship without presence is a very hard thing. Um, You know, we see that in our human relationships right now. When you you can't be around someone or you don't have the opportunity to be in their presence, it's hard to really even know how that relationship's going. Um, And so this is the same that we see with God. And what we see in the, the story, in the narrative of the Old Testament, is that God came down and created a way for us to still be in his presence, although not fully. A little bit, but not all the way. Because if it's all the way, we couldn't handle it. We would die. But so God comes in with, and he does this thing um, in the Old Testament through uh, the tabernacle. And we're going to see a lot about the tabernacle in our passage for today from Hebrews and um, I know uh, some of us are probably getting to the point with some of this that we're like, you know, enough of this Old Testament stuff. Like, what does is, what is all of this have to do? Like, what does the tabernacle have to do with me today or anything really? Like, um, why are we so focused on this? Well, I'll tell you this. We all would probably agree that creation and the fact that God created everything is very important, right? Well, when you look at, The Bible, um, as far as like whole chapters that are dedicated to that part of the story, it's about two chapters. When you look at the whole Bible in relation to the tabernacle, it's about 50 chapters. So that tells me that God might really think that this whole thing is kind of important. um, This whole tabernacle thing. And the reason is, is because this was God's way before Jesus came of being able um, to show us the necessity of being able to come back into his presence and the severity of not doing so in the right way, of the severity of coming into his presence with sin. And it's a warning for us. And so as, as we're, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 9 today, just know that, that this topic is something that obviously God says is very important. And as we've seen going through Hebrews, what the author of Hebrews is constantly doing here is he's taking these Old Testament themes, these Old Testament ideas, and he's showing how they're fulfilled in Jesus and even how Jesus is even better. Jesus is better than whatever the old system was, whatever the old covenant was. So let's, let's jump into our passage for today. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared. The first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. So, as he says here, we cannot now speak in detail. So we can't go into great detail on this because there is, there's so much that you could unpack in relating the tabernacle um, and the whole worship system that was involved there with Jesus. Because the tabernacle, even itself, even in its design, even in the way it's laid out, pointed forward to Jesus And it has truths about Jesus even back in that system, even back in that time. Um, And so uh, what we can remember about the tabernacle is when it first came about, after the Israelites had been led out of Egypt, Um, you know, God freed them uh, through the plagues, and they've come out of Egypt, they've come out of slavery, and they now are in a place of, uh, of being free. And God gives them instructions about how to live as His free people. Um, and those are what, that's what we have in the Old Testament law. Um, this is what Moses uh, went up on the mountain. Uh, when he went up on the mountain was in God's presence. Uh, After he came back, he he couldn't even see God uh, face to face, but God let him see his backside, um, whatever that means. I don't know exactly what that looks like to see God's backside. But even just in that, just in that little bit of exposure to God's full presence, Moses came back with this glow from him that freaked the people out and meant that he had to cover his face in order to be able to talk to the people because they were so um, just scared and awed by the presence of God just through Moses who had been in the presence of God. That's how big a deal it is to be in God's presence. And that's what the tabernacle uh, further showed as they set this system up, is that even in this place, this, this tent, that as they traveled through the wilderness was considered God's house. This is where, where our God lives. Um, this is where his presence comes. Because you see, God would, would lead the people by a cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire at night when they were traveling. And then when, he would, when they would stop, he would come to rest, and that, that cloud uh, would come down and rest on the tabernacle, uh, signifying that this is where our God is. This is where his presence is. And inside this tabernacle, uh, you have these two different rooms. Um, you have the one room where the priests would go kind of regularly and do uh, the work of sacrifices and doing the work of worship and everything that they were supposed to do. Um, and we would, you could see them, them doing that in this kind of outer room. But then there was the inner room, the holiest place, the most holy place, as he calls it here. Uh, in which that's where it was said, that's where God is. To be in that room is to be in his presence. Uh, throughout um, the Old Testament narrative, you have a lot about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the story of, of this... Thing that really symbolized God um, as God's people moved. Um, things, uh, and God was very specific even about how it was to be carried and everything, that no one was to touch it um, and everything because it symbolized His presence. His presence was in um, this thing, on this thing. And there's the whole story of one time they weren't carrying it correctly, and uh, an oxen stumbled and it almost fell off a cart, and a guy reached out to keep it from falling and he touched it, and when he touched it, he was struck dead. Because he came into the fullness of God's presence in that moment. And as a sinful person, he couldn't be there. He was struck dead. And so to go into the most holy place was to go into God's presence. And, and even on, um, as, you, as we see here, that uh, on, the, on the ark, Above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Overshadowing the mercy seat on top of the, cove- of the Ark of the Covenant, which is sitting in the, in the middle of this room that was considered to be where God's presence was. It has a, a seat, a throne, if you will. And that seat was where it was considered that God sits on his throne right there. But even in the old covenant, even in the old system of all of the rules and regulations and laws and everything, what was that seat known as? It was known as the mercy seat. Because you see, God is merciful. And so even at that point, it's pointing forward to the mercy that we find in Jesus. So much of all of this in the tabernacle, all of the different furniture that we see here is basically related to the sacrificial system. And we know that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And if we can remember back to last week, in chapter 8, the author started to, to use this analogy and, and to set up this picture of a shadow. that The Old Testament, the Old System, the Old Covenant was just a shadow of the reality of Jesus and what was to come. And what we see in the tabernacle too, is that all of the tabernacle and its significance was a shadow of the reality of Jesus. So that doesn't mean it's unimportant. It doesn't mean we we shouldn't study this. What it means is as we study it, we should study it in light of how does this point to Jesus? How can I understand Jesus better out of understanding this? This was God's kind of direction sign pointing forward saying, hey, yeah, this is what you need. You need a way back into my presence. But even at that, your most holy person, your high priest can only come into my presence once a year. And when he does so, um, he has to go through a whole process in order to be able to do that. But what we have with Jesus is someone who is in God's presence permanently. He's there for us. Our high priest is so much better as we've already been been seeing. Going on in verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself himself, Regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. And so what we're seeing here is this idea I was just talking about of the, the high priest would go into the, the holiest place, the holy of holies, um, and only once a year. And only under all of these situations, under all of these circumstances. And that shows us the, the severity and the reality of the difficulty of coming into the presence of a pure and holy God as sinful human beings. And yet, we're created to be in relationship with him. And so how do we be in that relationship to bring glory and honor to him without being in his presence? And that's why, where Jesus is so much better than the old system. There's another thing he kind of just mentions here um, that if we can put on pause the whole tabernacle talk for a minute and look at just back in verse seven, he says this. He talks about offering the the high priest offering the blood for himself, but then which he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. You see, this kind of is a little side note that should tell us about the reality and the severity of our sin. Because it's easy for us when we think about sin to, be, to think about it in the terms of like, oh, well, I knew what God wanted me to do, and I didn't do it. Or I knew what God didn't want me to do, and I did that. Um, and that's, that's my sin, because I did something that was wrong. But here in Scripture, it even includes the fact when we have unintentional sins. We might not even know that it was a sin. We might not even be aware that what we're doing was against God. That it was corrupt. That it was sinful. We might not even know these things. And yet, from what we can read here, God will still hold account for that. And so, for people out there who, who maybe they, they think, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good, but maybe they have some of these unintentional sins, and with God being pur- purely holy and perfect and righteous, then that means He's going to hold, hold them accountable for those things. He's going to hold them to account for their actions. Even if what they did, they didn't do with malicious intent. They didn't do um, even out of knowing uh, that they were doing something against God. And so that makes the gospel even more important. That makes hope in Jesus an even bigger deal. Something that we all need. That's something that the whole world needs. That's something that, that people everywhere need. And that's why Jesus has tasked us with getting that message out there to people, to let people know that, hey, yes, you need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the only way. He talks about here in verse uh, verse 9 that according to the old arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot help the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. You see, all of those things were just there until something better came. They were showing us how dirty we were, how corrupt we were, and the fact that we needed a way to become clean. And that way is through Jesus. You see, the old covenant was a whole system that was unable to do what was needed for restoring mankind to the presence of God, it was only a shadow of the one who could. You see, Jesus is the one that can restore us to the presence of God. Where through Jesus, we can be in his presence. Through Jesus, we can fulfill what we were created to do. Through Jesus, we can be who we we're supposed to be and we can do what we were made to do. The old is just a shadow. So let's think about it this way. This is a very, very, very imperfect illustration, okay? But go with me here, okay? So imagine that you are working on your car and you are needing a wrench. And you go to to your tools and you're looking for this wrench and you cannot find it the size that you need has gone missing. Uh, something happened to it. You can't find it anywhere. So you call your neighbor and you're like, Hey, Hey buddy. Um, Hey, I need this wrench. Do you have it? And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got it. Um, and he says, but, uh, because of COVID-19, um, I cannot let you borrow it. Sorry. Um, but here's what I will do. Um, tonight, when it gets dark out, I will go to my window, and I will hold the wrench up and shine a flashlight around it and shine it at your house. And, and so that way, you can see the shadow of the wrench. Will that help you? Will that, will that give you what you need to fix your car? <laughs> to which we would say to our friend, thanks a lot, buddy. Right? Right? But we would know, based on that, that yes, there is a ranch out there that meets the need for what I have. And that's kind of what we have in the tabernacle. That's kind of what we have in the old covenant, what we have in the old system, is it's like God is holding something up with a flashlight to it saying, hey, something better is coming. Something better is coming. You want to pay attention when it gets here. You want to latch on to that thing when it gets here, because something's better is coming. This system, this shadow that you're getting, it's not enough, not sufficient. But it's a shadow of Jesus. And Jesus is sufficient. He is able. He is the one that we need. And that's what the author of Hebrews goes into here. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, um, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. See what he's saying here? He's saying, hey, they had a tent back then, but Jesus is the better tent. Jesus is the best tent, that he's entered in to something that's so much better. They had the holy place and then the most holy place, and then there's where Jesus is. It's not a place where, where God's presence comes and rests uh, just in a cloud, but it's where God is seated on his throne, and Jesus as our high priest is right there with him in that most holy place that exists, in the full presence of God interceding for us and working for us. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing and great news for us. And this is why we no longer need a tabernacle or the temple that replaced it. That's because we have a better one in Jesus. We have a better one in Jesus. We don't don't need that. We have him. So Jesus is the way for man to be restored to God's presence, and as such, the way into relationship with God. If you want to be who you were created to be, if you want to do what you were designed for, then I want to encourage you with this. Jesus is the way to do that. And so maybe you've never experienced that for yourself. Maybe you've never entered into his presence for yourself. you never placed your faith in Jesus this is all possible by what he talked about here of Jesus shedding his blood for us see the old system they were all it was about you know sacrificing goats and calves and all the lambs and all this kind of different stuff at different times in the right way and the right method and, and everything and even um, you know they had a scapegoat that was just supposed to run away, and, but sometimes the scapegoat would come back, and they, then what does that leave you with? And, and so it was this imperfect system. But what we have in Jesus is the perfect one, the only one who ever lived without sin. He was fully God, fully man, and he laid down his life for us. He paid the price for us. He paid the price for our sin so that we could be restored to God. And he did that in a beautiful way. And in doing so, he secured an eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. That's what's offered to us. Eternally being set right with God, where we can enter into his presence and be in that relationship with him that we were designed for and created for and bring him glory and honor out of that. And so that's some pretty good news. And if that's something that you need in your life, I encourage you today, right now, to cry out to him and just ask him, saying, Jesus, please be my Lord and Savior. Yes, please redeem me in that way. I give you my life. I want to follow you. You can do that right now, wherever you are. You can give your life to Jesus. He can be your Lord and Savior. He can redeem you. You can be put into right relationship with God through him. Through him removing your sin, removing your corruption, so that you can be in God's presence. Do you want to do that today? Why don't you just bow your head right now and talk to him about it? For others of us, we've known this for a long time, and it does shape us. We've experienced this. We know this to be true. We've experienced His power in our lives. We've experienced His cleansing. We've experienced getting to come into the presence of God and to be put into that right relationship with Him. But we also experience falling in to our old sinful habits and that relationship being broken again there being a rift there. And so maybe today we need to come back to Jesus and say, Yes, Lord, um, I, I've broken the relationship because I've, I've brought sin into the presence. And so, Jesus, will you take that away? Will you take that away? Will you take that on you? And will you restore me once again into right relationship with you? And for others of us, maybe we're just we're in a good place right now where we're walking with the Lord. And we know this to be true. Maybe the application for us today is, who is there that we can share this truth with? Who is there that needs to hear this from us as well? Who is there that needs to know about Jesus and that he is the way? Because Jesus is the way for man to restore to God's presence. And as such, the way into relationship with God. He's saying once again, this is the theme we see running throughout all the Hebrews. Say it with me. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so as we reflect on that, I just want to to ask the worship team to come on back up and let's worship Him for the fact that He is better. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you will sanctify us, make us holy, make us so that we can be brought back into your presence. Our sin has corrupted things. Our sin has divided, you, divided us from you where we can't be in right relationship with you. But we thank you so much that you provided a way through Jesus that we could be restored, that we could be brought back into relationship with you, that we could be brought back into your your presence. Lord, we thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray that, that some that are watching this who don't know you, who haven't placed their faith in you and haven't come into that place of being made into a right relationship with you, I pray that that happens for them today. Bring them to repentance and faith in this moment. That's something that you do through the power of your Holy Spirit and your spirit is not restricted to buildings or walls or anything. Um, And so, Lord, as this goes into people's homes today, all over, I pray that your spirit will work in their lives. That you will draw them to yourself in the way that only you can do. For all of us who know you, who've been... Uh, who've experienced your redemption in our life, Lord, I pray that, that we will live like it. I pray that we will follow you, that we will be obedient to you, and that we will live in the way that you want us to. And I pray all of this in the most holy name of Jesus Christ.